This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, I do want to share with you uh, some wisdom gained over the years about parenting, about being a father, about being a mother, and whether you're a dad or a mom or never will be, I think there's some things here that uh, apply to all of us. I do want to congratulate all the fathers being present, and uh, I can't imagine a more important role than to be a dad or a mom in today's world or any time in culture, but particularly in the world in which we live. It's interesting that when you bring your kid home from the hospital, they may teach you how to put the child in the car seat. In fact, they probably won't let you leave without that. But there's not a take-home manual that really tells you how to be a parent. And one of the kind of frustrating things, just to be honest with you, about Scripture is that uh, when it comes to family matters and family life, it's not like you can bring your questions to the Bible and you can readily look it up and say, here's the, here's the answer. Because the Scripture, relatively speaking, has a little to say about family life, and yet it's, it's there. And oftentimes it's there by the mistakes uh, that people make. Sometimes people of real great faith really make some really tough mistakes. And so what I'm doing with you today is I'm, I'm kind of talking through six different tidbits of wisdom that has been gained from uh, experience, from Scripture, from some of my mistakes that uh, I hope you can find uh, that applies to your life today. We're going to start by looking at some words from Proverbs. Uh, Just read these words uh, from chapter 4. Listen, children, to a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and my mother's favorite, He taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever else you get, get insight. Prize her highly. And she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a fair garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And so we have this relationship with wisdom throughout our life. Wisdom is our companion. She goes with us. It's wisdom that we've picked up from our parents. It's wisdom that we pick up from life. And so what I want to do is is to point us to, okay, the scripture's saying the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever else, get insight. But how do you get that? How do you get that without living life? How do you get that without making mistakes? How do you get that without comparing notes? And how do you get that by not repeating the same mistakes or looking at new ways, but more than anything, looking to God and the presence of God in our lives. 
So with that in mind, here's six things that we're talking about today. Wisdom gained over the years. The first thing I want to talk about is that it's very important in life to present our children to God early on. You know, it's no accident that in the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, in many faith traditions, there are these rites, there are these ceremonies that go back to the ancient times. The Jewish people, depending upon the, the particular Jewish sect, had rites of baptism for their children, and certainly the eight-day-old male circumcision was a, a rite was a ceremony, was a way of presenting the person, marking the person before God. We read in the scripture, Mary and Joseph, at that point when the rite of purification had come for them, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to give him to the Lord. And so there is this, this beautiful tradition in our faith of infant baptism of bringing a child before God as parents. When we as parents practice baptism of our babies, it was our way of saying to God, they don't belong to us. They're not our property. We recognize that they came from you and they're gonna go back to you and we get to be the caretakers, we get to be the stewards, we get to be the guides for a little while in their life. And we need your help and we need the help of a community of faith. Now the beautiful thing about the story of Jesus, did you notice if you know the background of Luke chapter two, when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, Anna, the old prophet, Simeon, the old prophet, they come and they speak words over Jesus about who he is, that he's the redeemer, that he's the light, that he's the salvation, that he's the one to come. When we would present our children to God in, the, in a faith community, and this was Dale Street United Methodist Church, we were surrounded by a lot of Simeons and Annas. You know, a lot of people have horror stories about the church and church people and church people being judgmental and church people being awful. And yeah, there probably are some. <laughs> but man, our experience has been just the opposite. Our kids' grandparents were hundreds of miles away. We never dreamed of trying to raise those kids on our own. And it was people in the community that surrounded them, that loved them, that helped them to become who they are today. And we're indebted to that. But as you present a child to God in baptism, you're claiming God's grace on that child. And we believe in this sacramental moment in ways of a mystery that we can't explain that God's grace and God's power and God's protection is poured out on that child. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of different views on this. We have people that are a part of our church that do not believe in infant baptism. They believe you should wait until the child chooses for himself or herself and makes that gift of salvation 
through their own faith. And we certainly believe that infant baptism does not take that decision away from the child. But we also believe it reinforces the understanding that the parents are presenting the child to God. You know, as I've been wrestling with uh, this a long time in my life, and I I think about uh, what does it really mean to present a child to God in baptism? I think the most biblical, faithful, and I've got a learned Dr. J here on the front pew, so he can tell you if I'm right or not later. (laughs) But, But I think the purest sense of what a rite of baptism ought to look like, and I've never done this, I hope I get to do this someday, is take a naked baby. I mean, the baby is naked as a jaybird. And you take that naked baby and you immerse that baby completely in water. Now, that may not be a pretty photo op. It may not be necessarily something that's really cool uh, for the baptismal gown. But I think it is the image of what it means to present a child to God. Susan isn't here today, so I can say this. Honey, if you're watching, why don't we do that the next baby we have? Let's try that. I'll find out if she's actually watching this later on podcast. Whether you pre- pre- practice infant baptism, whether you call on this as a parent or not, here's the idea. Present your child to God. You give that child to God. That child does not belong to you. You give them to the Lord. That's the place to start. Second thing I want to say about children or raising children in the sense of wisdom is uh, we, we need to uh, be able to recognize their own unique thumbprint. Every child is different. I remember coming home in the evenings and with our three adult children. And with our children, Daniel was the intellectual. And Daniel would love to read and read and read. And he had a statistical mind, a memory, a photo memory. It was beyond what I ever seen before. I got him a yay thick baseball encyclopedia. And almost every day he would tell me new data he had memorized that day from the baseball encyclopedia. And he's still a walking statistician. Jonathan, our second child, would always want to play catch or do something in the sense of interaction, shoot hoops. And Jonathan, from the age of three, when you asked him, what do you want for Christmas? He would say, I want an organ. A three-year-old kid wants an organ. Are you kidding me? Well, when he was 10, we finally got him an organ. And today he plays 200 masses annually for a large Catholic parish in Columbus, Ohio. Now, he He got early on this clear idea of of his passion and what he wanted to do in life. Alexandra, when I came home, I couldn't find her. Where was she? I'd look for her everywhere, and then I would remember. I'd go out to the driveway, and sure enough, there she was up in a tree. Hi, Dad. I remember taking you, Alexandra. She's here today. 
try to embarrass her as much as I can, to the Garden of the Gods. I mean, we, in 30 seconds, we didn't know where she was. We looked all around. We looked six stories up rocks. There she was, straight up. And she's always been a climber. She's a climber. And she's got a, a husband that's wiry. And she's got a son that doesn't sit still, and there is justice in the world. <laughs> well, every child has their uniqueness, their passion, who they are. And we as parents, they're not there to fulfill our dreams for them. They're there to discover their God-given passion and dream and let their lives flourish. Boy, what a wonderful gift you can give your kid. A third thing in terms of wisdom gained over the years is to be consistent in practicing what's important. Kids need consistency. They need predictability. Um, be consistent with bedtime. Susan was extraordinary with this in sharing a regular bedtime of prayers with, with the children. I was there kind of hit and miss with church obligations, and that's one of the things that I would redo if I could. Uh, there was a consistent meal time, and you know, I don't know what your life is like. I don't know how demanding it is or how impossible it is for a family to share a meal to, together. One of the things I've really been impressed about the Leiningers is that sometimes when Jason can't go home to them, they, they come to him. They, they have a meal here. They, I, but to figure out that daily ritual where you're together, bonded together, sharing food. And if that can happen, and you know what? If you can't do the meal, then have some ice cream at least, you know. But there's something about that that's so important to look around the table at each other, to shut off the television, to put the iPhone away, and to have human visual interaction. Wow. It doesn't get any better than that. To share common worship experiences. Sundays came, guess what? I was the pastor, there was an expectation we'd be in worship. There was no misunderstanding about the importance of worship. And I wish we would have worshiped more in our home, which we did do. I just wish we would have done it more often, more regularly. And to follow the practice of house rules, that the house rules apply for everybody. Andy Stanley tells a story about trying to get his kids to take the trash out and how impossible it was and how everyone had their turn and their chores. And the night that the kids were supposed to take out the trash, he would say, take out the trash, and then there would, nothing would happen. And 30 minutes later, he'd say, you need to take out the trash. And now that nothing would happen, they'd say, well, we got it, Dad. Well, it's getting late in the evening, and the voices would escalate in volume. You know how it is sometimes when you're trying to get your kids to do something? And finally, Andy Stanley came to the conclusion, you know what? At the dinner table, he just announced, I'm going to go ahead and just take the trash out myself. It's easier for me to do it, a lot less frustration. They were excited to hear that news until he said, and by the way, I'll be charging you equivalency to your allowance when I take out the trash. 
And he said he never had any difficulty ever again with the kids taking out their trash on time. First time asked. But the, the house rules, the consistency, the expectation, uh, not having to repeat things over and over, consequences, realities, discipline, consistency is the gift that every child deserves. Well, a fourth thing about wisdom gained over the years is to capitalize on the teaching moments every day. I love the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6 where God is speaking to Moses and he's speaking to the people of Israel as they're about to go into the promised land. And God wants Moses and the people to reinforce over and over and over again their love for God. And so these words are prevalent in, in the words of Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words, recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, the culture has changed. We don't have doorposts or most of us don't in the sense of gateposts or we don't necessarily, uh, too many of us, bind something around us as we do our prayers. But in the midst of everyday life, the messages get posted. The teaching moments happen. And sometimes the moments that we teach, we're totally unaware of what's going on. I remember some years ago being at a Springfield Cardinals game. And there was a young family sitting right in front of me. And the umpire just blew a call. Just really was horrendous against the home team, the Cardinals. And people were yelling at the umpire, giving him what for. And the mother turned to the two little kids right in front of me. She said, do you see what's happening here? Do you see that that umpire is being treated with such disrespect? Do you hear these people saying these words? Jesus does not want you to be that way. I was so impressed with her. And I was so relieved that I was not one of those yelling. <laughs> Teaching moments. A couple of weeks ago, we honored the life and we celebrated the life of Roger Tunk Sr. He was a wonderful Christian man, served on staff here. And Shane, his grandson, stood right in this place and gave a personal eulogy of Roger and went through this litany of the things that he learned from his grandpa. He said amazing things. But the thing that stood out for me the most was, he said, my grandpa taught me how to treat women. You know, um, Teenage girls are seven times less likely to become pregnant when there is a father 
in their life. Young boys learn how to treat young girls by watching the men in their life treat the women in their life. And the world needs dads or granddads or any male figures that will step in the gap in teaching moments on how to be a Christian gentleman. Teaching moments. Well, a fifth thing of wisdom I want to share with you is that the adolescent years can be tough on everyone. Um, I remember my twin brother and I comparing notes about our kids when they were teenagers. Do, do your kids hate your guts too? <laughs> um, and there's those times when and it was hard. Um, there was a disconnect. There was times when I, we didn't know what was going on. And in those times, we found it helpful, though, to compare notes with other parents and to stick it out and not to hit the panic button and to invite our kids' friends and into our own home and to, to also pray for other adults to speak wisdom into our kids' lives that when, you know, adults that were more cool than, than us, but they could hear it and they could watch it in other adult lives when they may not necessarily see it in our own. Uh, God created adolescence, though, so that by the time it's over, parents are ready to let the kid go. <laughs> well, the final thing that I, I want to share with you briefly is that you never stop being a parent. You know, I never want to. One of the great privileges and joys of my life is to have three adult children and a wonderful grand, uh, son-in-law and a grandson that enrich my life. And to have those mature conversations where you talk about things on a deeper level than you ever did before. And you strive not to give unsolicited advice. And you let them lead and you let them do. And, you know, one of the tough things that I think we had to dance with was the reality of boomeranging kids. You know, each of our adult children came back home a few times. And you have to kind of figure that out. You have to remember that they don't probably want to be there but they need to be there for a while. And we would try to do that dance and figure that out with them. And there were times when uh, if, if they were in college or if they were in between work or they were, had just graduated looking for a job, we clearly understood the need for them to be home. We were glad for them to be there. And yet there were also a few moments when we had to say to one or two of them, we love you. When are you leaving? 
And I think that that's just something that we have to kind of figure out as we go through life. And I have kind of gone to full circle that every morning I have my family's picture in front of me. And I present them to the Lord. I also, at times, um, have regrets that pop up. You know, we parents, sometimes we can should on ourselves a lot. You ever just should on yourself? <laughs> I remember when Jonathan got his first baseball hit. I was in Columbia. I had to be away. had to miss his game. I remember he called me and told me about it. The good news is he called me. The bad news was I was not there. Man, I have shitted it on myself a lot on that one. So, you know, there may be some regrets that you have as a parent. And I would invite you to just uh, release those to God and entrust to God His grace and His mercy and His ability to redeem those things. And also to go back and to say, I'm sorry about that. Uh, I, I wasn't there the way I should have been, or I wish I hadn't have done that. I mean, in God's family, mercy trumps everything. Compassion, forgiveness changes hearts and lives. We don't have to hold on to the junk. So forgiveness is something you offer to others. It's something you ask of others. And it's something you give to yourself. Wherever you are in your season of life, as a parent, as a family member, I, I hope you, you know that God's presence and God's goodness is with you. And that the fear of the Lord, reverence for the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom.